0: For June 4th, 2012, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 205 The Priams of the Patriarchy. save the Queen, it is the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather here at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, and we salute Her Majesty, Head of the Commonwealth, uh, uh, Head Lady of the Isle of Man, Uh, Quite a a role model for women the world over Uh, God save the Queen Peter Fenzel, uh, what
1: should... Here, 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 Mr. Speaker If I may be so bold Yes, sir, Would the
0: right honourable gentleman from (laughs) Fenzel Please shut up
1: (laughs) Granted All right, (laughs) what's up?
0: (laughs) Point of personal privilege, Mr. (laughs) Fenzel Uh, what should the Queen do for her Diamond Jubilee? (laughs)
1: All right, so I just binged on all four seasons of Breaking Bad, and I have it all up in my brain. And I'm not going to do any spoilers or nothing, but I will say that there's an amazing scene in the fourth season of Breaking Bad where Don Eladio of the Mexican cartel, after a super intense situation uh, in a negotiation uh, and all sorts of other businesses going on that I won't talk about, he says, and it's all in subtitles, he goes, uh, Enough talking of business. Bring in the girls, and then like a bunch of women show up for an absurd scene. I feel like hey, the queen needs to like finish giving her presentation, and she's to retire to her of quarters. And then she needs to be like, "Enough business, bring in the men." And then there needs to be like an <laughs> analogous scene of all these dudes like coming in in speedos with gold chains oh, on them. Dale
0: dancers, or maybe just the actors from the Full Monty.
1: Yeah, it's like all... You know who it is? It's like all the male sex symbols from all of the British theatrical and film releases. It's like... Benedict male-
0: Cumberbatch.
1: <laughs> it's like Colin Firth giving w- her a lap dance. W- and waving, like Ian and- <laughs>
0: waving his <laughs> Cumberbatch all over the place.
1: Yeah, it's like the whole cast of Downton Abbey. The male <laughs> cast of Downton Abbey comes in and just, like, serves her whatever food and drink she wants. Do you,
0: do you realize that, that that... I don't know if it's consciously patterned after, but that that is... Uh, that piece of dialogue is patterned after... Uh, a uh, piece of dialogue from the cinematic masterpiece Triple X, starring one Vin Diesel and uh, Asia Argento.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep.
0: Where, uh, where, uh, Mr. Diesel uh, playing uh, America's last best hope against a ring of Russian anarchists and car thieves uh, infiltrates uh, said ring, and uh, after making contact with them at their night in the VIP area of their nightclub. Uh, of course, uh, and transacting a, a bit of business, uh, you know, under his cover identity uh, as an outlaw. Uh, the head of the Russian mob says, and, and this is him, it, it contains some crude misogynistic language, and I apologize in advance for this. He says, work is over. Now we party. <laughs> Bitches. Come <laughs> And uh, in, in, into this, uh, you know, formerly entirely male enclave, uh, in come the dancing girls. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and of course, the film takes no, uh, uh, you know, uh, stints, stints us, not at all in our opportunity to ogle their, you know, uh, to ogle their flesh. <laughs>
1: The things I do for my country. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: ah, uh, Sir John Perridge Esquire, Lord of Lord of Uh, uh, uh It's uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Please give Her Majesty some advice
2: for her Diamond Jubilee. Right, right. What up? What up? Right, right. So, I'm I'm going to. Take it in a take it in a different vein and say that you know the the queen in the Diamond Jubilee reaching shall we shall we say her 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 golden years her retiring years and is you know queens don't leave office the same way presidents do but I suppose it could be it could be implied you know she go out
1: guns blazing (laughs) hail of enemy gunfire I'm taking you all with me I'm taking (laughs) more princesses in the world today than there
0: are queens in the entire world.
2: (laughs) <laughs> but it, it could be, you know, it, so it could safely be implied that she she might not have much longer to enjoy the title of queen. So therefore, I would submit that she should, as one of her last acts, issue an official pardon to Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, of course, having been uh, charged in, what was it, 1895 uh, with gross indecency for, uh, you know, for his, you know, his relationship with uh, with another man. Uh, a crime which you know has has stood on the books for for some time, and you know would, it would be a nice symbolic gesture if nothing else. In the same way that uh, whom I of, Jim Morrison was uh, was pardoned uh, posthumously for uh, for in fact a similar, although slightly different version of the same crime, uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, Queen Queen Queen, please uh, please do what's right. The, so, um. Right, this is a thing
0: because there was a thing with Alan Turing also, where there there, there has been this like cry to to have him pardoned, Alan Turing, yeah. the uh, the what, the mathematician, right? And yes, and the, the counter, the only persuasive counter argument uh, I've heard to this is that like it it was illegal and they both did it, so it would be less pardoning them and more like declaring that the law was sort of morally wrong. Uh, right at the time, and that sort of no one should have been uh, convicted right. of this law, but it sort of puts you in a in a funny position as a uh, as a nation, doesn't it?
2: And, well, as a monarch in particular, as the as the head of state, as the state head, and I, I suppose as the as the sovereignty of the British Commonwealth embodied in a single person, I I recognize that it might be tricky in a certain sense. There's a uh, there's a very old uh, British play, which uh, David Mamet of all people scripted and directed an adaptation of in 1997, called *The Winslow Boy*, which is about uh, which is about an actual historical case of a uh, of a boy who's uh, wrongfully or supposedly wrongfully uh, expelled from a cadet academy, and uh, how his family spends like over a decade trying to petition the uh, the Admiralty to get a hearing. And one of the one of the tricky points of law in there is that you know the admiralty being a branch of you know the royal government, cannot, in the eyes of the law, do wrong in these instances, so the admiralty has to uh, has to allow a petition what 's called a petition of right to even allow the case to come to trial, in other words, they have to deign to be tried uh, in a manner of speaking uh, they they can just dismiss the case out of hand without having to hear, and so there's a there's many years tied up in these legal negotiations and petitions, and it goes to the House of House of Lords, and you know motions are are brought forward, and people stand up and make speeches, and rah rah, how dare you! So I would imagine there there's something similar, although it's uh, something similar. It's obviously a different case, but something similar here, and that you know the 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 Regent has to be conscious of making a decision, like well. This would be acknowledging the the wrongness of the law on the books, which my predecessor, also a regent, was sort of responsible for embodying at the time.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Two things. One, she should pardon Oscar Wilde on the condition that he retroactively take the black and guard Hadrian's wall against the Picts. (laughs) Second of all, and assume that in some alternate timeline this has taken place and give him like a a sort of uh, multiversal pardon. And second of all, I support an event called the Grand Pardoning of the Fops, wherein all Fops are collectively pardoned for all their past indiscretions of the flesh uh, due to shifting social norms and our like beloved treasuring of their of their uh, fey frippery and other assorted accoutrements, uh, they are a national resource. They should be taken under the national trust, much like England's uh, parklands, and protected as part of her historical legacy. Um, I suppose
2: it's,
0: I suppose it's my turn. Here is what I would like. Um, I would like the BBC series Sherlock uh, to be screened uh, to be broadcast in the United States at the same time as it is broadcast in Great Britain. Uh, your Majesty, you can do this because uh, the BBC is a uh, what a branch of your government, and you can simply decree that we don't have to wait nine months or whatever ridiculous uh, amount of time—six months uh, it was. Uh, to get Sherlock, which just wrapped up its second series broadcasting on BBC America, but which broadcast in the United Kingdom, you know, uh, earlier this year or late last year or something. Uh, you do not have to subject us to this excruciating, uh, intolerable uh, weight. Let right be done, I say. I say to you, let right be done. Um, So, uh, you know, congratulations to Her Majesty on her Diamond Jubilee. God save the Queen.
2: Uh, God God save the Queen. God God save the Queen.
0: Now, uh, moving from girls in their twilight years to uh, girls in the, the, the bloom of youth...
1: I thought you were going to say Moving from girls in their twilight years To girls in their twilight years <laughs> That would be a better segue
0: uh, Right um, Yeah, from girls in their, their twilight years To girls in their twilight saga years We, uh, we turn now to the HBO series Girls Starring Lena Dunham As a what, I guess what we must assume Is a thinly fictionalized version of herself Right? Or her friends Or her social class
1: um, it's it's close enough, you know. It's one of those things where even if it isn't really her or her lifestyle, there's something semi autobiographical about the tone of the way that it's struck. Sure. At least she's presuming. Like if we were to exclude authorial intentionality as a mediating factor in our interpretation, we would say that the piece makes it seem as if she is doing this autobiographically about herself. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, continue. Uh,
0: So uh, we've now we've now we haven't addressed it, but we have now all seen the um, we've now all seen the uh, uh, the series in some uh, to some extent. Anyway, and we uh, we have thoughts uh, about it. Pete, you you recently, uh, very recently, as in mere hours ago, watched uh, the first two episodes of this HBO series, your uh, thoughts might be freshest in your mind. Why don't you begin? Uh, what yeah, do you sure. What, you, what, what do you think of Girls?
1: Uh, well, first of all, um, I enjoy it. Uh, it isn't the kind of show that do I normally enjoy. I enjoy, yes, we, yes, I sp- I know that there are people who are shocked, given my uh, affinity for Dragon Ball Z and musical theater, but I in fact do enjoy girls. No, 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 that's rude to say. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to, that's like, that's like a 90s joke. We don't want to go back there. This is, we were all progressive and we've got new ideas of gender and, and politics. Um I'm not usually a fan of these sort of slice of life dramas, just because they don't provide me with the kind of satisfaction that I seek out of my like spare few hours of entertainment that I get like over the course of like a, a week. You know, where like uh, I mean, I'm the kind of guy who'll watch 24. And right. Make fun it's of no it, dragon.
0: Right? It's no Dragon Ball Z, is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. Well, because it doesn't really provide. It's not a really as much of a culinary entertainment in that sense. It's certainly not a fantasy. I mean, it is a fantasy to a degree, but, but the, main, the main thing is that there's two – I think that there's two important things to acknowledge about girls, and I feel like they really shape the discourse around girls uh, and drink. And the first part of it is that girls is this slice-of-life drama about people who live in the city and New York City, and it's, uh, it's got sex and it's got relationships and it's sort of a poignant kind of complex, like, lyrical play on their lives – That's all one part of it, right? And then the second part of it is the shtick, which is like – it's like for by and about these women, right? Um, And I feel like these two things often get conflated in a lot of the criticism that I've heard of the show where people will be like, oh, like I don't – I feel uncomfortable with the show. I don't like the show because the women in it are so privileged, right? Because all of the different actresses are – I mean I think they're all – the scions of powerful families of one way or another, right? One of the women is like David Mamet's daughter. One of them is Brian Williams daughter, right? Like they're all from like the actual people involved in the show are products of privilege. The actresses, like the characters in the show are products of privilege. People are kind of turned off by that, but I think that's more about like women in power, right? And about like, this is a show with women in it. Uh, and we can discuss like people's level of comfort with that, just in terms of this the way that the culture deals with it. But then there's like the show as it is exists as like a drama, and as a drama, it seems to me to be okay, right? Like it's not. Some people really love it. Um, I don't. I don't really love it quite as much. Although I don't like to spend too much podcast time going over whether things are good. But um, I mean, if you want to compare it to a show like Mad Men, right, or a show like Breaking Bad. Um, Shows want to have reasons to exist, like like powerful reasons to exist that kind of motivate why you would want to watch this show over other shows. Uh, and I feel like, at least so far, I've only watched the first couple episodes. I haven't watched – I just binged on the first couple episodes. Um, the show doesn't seem to me on its merits to have like a really, really powerful reason to command that you watch it, other than the whole sort of second reason about being it like, you know, from, by, and about women. Um, I mean does that – those two sort of spheres – of this show kind of resonate with your guys experience of it and did you have any thoughts of it as either a drama or as kind of like a political piece because I feel like there's definitely two different conversations to have there
2: so I'll I'll talk about the uh, I'll talk about the first episode uh, primarily which is the, the only one I've seen up to this point uh, first Pete I'll I want to I want to disagree with your assessment slightly because I believe that you know at least Lena Dunham's character and this is based on my understanding of what I've read of the series is in fact Taking several episodes to slowly gather power under herself that she is going to project in like the eighth or ninth episode in a sort of dynamic chi blast that is going to blow another opponent off the screen. So in that sense it's very much like Dragon Ball Z. Uh, so the the criticisms about it it taking a while to develop this, I don't I don't I don't see that. So
1: you think that around like episode like seven or eight, which I haven't watched, she's just gonna start screaming so that in like episode twelve she can destroy Manhattan Island from like a position several thousand feet in the air. Well, like I'm, using I'm pure fa- power I'm of her like personality. <laughs>
2: i'm thinking more like destroy her her asshole boyfriend slash guy that she's sleeping with that's the,
0: that's the one right like that's the that's the the villain if the show has a villain that's it
2: he's the, right? demon, yes. he's the demon king piccolo is that
1: that's who that is yes is, is, yeah okay fair she, enough she she
2: she's, spent, she's spending like eight or nine episodes gathering chi energy in order to disintegrate him in a in a fiery blast and yet he'll regenerate in a later season because it's Girls is is the Dragon Ball Z of our generation. But, <laughs>
1: the Dragon Ball Z of our generation was Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I
2: had, I had, I, had a, I had a similar reaction when uh, when uh, Quest uh, when Quest Love tweeted that uh, uh, w- which we were talking about earlier. Uh, Breaking Bad. He tweeted an observation once like O M G Breaking Bad is the White the Wire. And my reaction was Wait a second! I thought the Wire was the White the Wire. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> I am totally lost here. But am getting back to other HBO dramas. It is it is true that
0: it's only white guys who who ever become that guy who are like you have to watch The Wire.
2: Yes. Yeah. This, is, this is this is very true and uh yeah, and, and and particularly relevant. But to girls, uh I watched the first episode. Uh I I liked it. I didn't I didn't feel I didn't feel hooked to watch more, although I think I have I have kind of a full plate this season as is What with watching Mad Men. Game of Thrones, Veep, Legend of Korra, uh, and uh, I've I've also just gotten into Sons of Anarchy recently, so I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of full up as is, but I I know some of those are coming to an end very soon, so I might binge on girls in a binge on girls huh, in a in a similar manner. But the uh, the the one thing I noted watching the first episode is that it in a in a very well it's it very particularly avoids uh in fact i'd say almost consciously avoids presenting uh, presenting women in the sort of like you know male gaze drink that we're that we're accustomed to seeing them in to the like w- the women are presented in very unglamorous ways like they're they're not they're not draped for either male approval or female aspiration which are almost universally the ways that that at least i can i can tell women are presented in pop culture so it it's like and and there are a couple of very conscious choices that that lead me to this in the in the first episode like uh you know Le- uh, lena dunham is taking a bath at one point but she's sort of like hunched over and like not very you know not very consciously exposing herself or there's one conversation that happens with one of the uh with one of the ensemble you know sitting on the toilet and the other one sitting on the sink talking to her and there's uh, there's, you know, there's the scene where Lena just passes out do while. Girls, do girls
0: actually do that? Do they like go to the bathroom together? Because like guys, I guess guys like at, at adjoining urinals, but like never in full view of the, uh, you know, of the junk, you know, excreting its fluids. Right? This, this have you never
1: heard like a sinbad routine it's like oh ladies be going to the bathroom in groups they all go into the bathroom it, it's crazy they're going shopping
2: <laughs> this, <laughs> so li- listeners listeners at home this would be one of those opportunities where it would be helpful to have a girl on the podcast so drink again we're uh, we're we're really going for the record this time i suppose uh yeah it's uh, it, it it is as you say very much it's very much by by women and about women and for women so it it it's the kind it's the kind of show that you know as a guy you you have to you have to make an effort to get into more than i had to the couple episodes i watched of sex in the city i think i've seen maybe i don't know 5 or 6 episodes of that in its entire run and while a lot of it, you know, was was very much about uh, female subjects, it was it was still accessible to me as a as a male viewer. It's not like oh, I have completely no idea what's going on, or this this doesn't relate to me at all. Whereas whereas girls gives you gives you less of that, I've, or gives gives me less of that as a as a male viewer, and I not not as a criticism one way or the other, but it's I think it's unique it's unique among shows in that regard.
1: Yeah. Although you brought up Oscar Wilde earlier and I think I think this brings up one of the important points about the show and really one of the kind of unfortunate realities the show has to deal with, right? Which which Oscar Wilde probably the thing that would impress him least is a show that goes to a lot of trouble like not to indulge a particular temptation of its audience. Right? Like, like the reason why the male gaze is so dominant in entertainment is because it has this, like, visceral effect on people, or on men in particular, like, it connects with this libidinous, you know, way and this objectifying impulse. Like, sort of just denying it by sort of conspicuously denying it, while it will ingratiate you with the people who have a problem with it, I wonder... Whether it would work, or will work, as a sort of, whether taking it away creates a surfeit that the show isn't prepared to to replace with anything. Like, I mean, I guess it is okay for this show because it doesn't have to hit a large audience. It's okay if it only has a few million viewers, right? Like, um... Yeah. It's HBO, it doesn't have, have a lot of ratings But like, you know, part of the issue With these is it's not like everybody who makes A show that lingers over Like the hips and legs of a woman As she washes a car, it's not like everyone Who made that show is like deliberately part Of a sexist conspiracy and cabal It's that there's like powerful market forces That like really, really corner Them and really set them up to use Very specific best practices to do their shows And so, I don't know, I'm always kind of Suspicious of uh, of, of Movies and television shows that like they see something that's bad And they just don't do it They just refrain from doing it um, and, and, and I sort decide, of wonder I mean, like,
0: They see something that's bad they decide, they decide to call something bad They decide that for the purposes oh, yeah. of this show uh, this, this sort of thing is, is going to be bad Right?
1: That that's an important step to include. I was skipping that step because it seemed like a foregone conclusion. But yeah, like they're deciding we're going to condemn shows in which they don't show women on the toilet talking to each other, right? Because they're like inadequately reflecting like the wholeness of the female, you know, human and physical experience, and they're creating this sort of sexist norm of of poopless women, right? Like which don't exist, Um, and like that's a problem, right? That it doesn't exist. It's like nice that that they're making a move to like ameliorate this problem, but I'm 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 just I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical and I fear for them and I worry that they don't have something strong enough to replace what they're giving up, right? Which which is like a, a powerful cultural myth that puts butts in the seats. And I know that this sounds horrible of me, but like no, I, I'm not the I, one who makes I, the rules. I agree
0: with you. I agree yeah. with you, Pete, because you are, you are now siding with the dominant culture against the subaltern uh, – <laughs>
1: Culture. I'm just saying, saying that me. saying that
0: the, the the resources of the subaltern culture to create uh you know alternative entertainments to the entertainments of the dominant culture are uh you know vastly impoverished compared with the resources of the dominant culture to create uh entertainments right
1: Look. All right. Look, I'll explain it this way. And Ever
0: subaltern since modes of representation cannot possibly prevail uh, when the dominant modes of representation are still available on <laughs> you know the other 999 channels I mean, they, in your cable they,
1: they can prevail, <laughs> but you have to come up with something impressive. Like, like um, I'll explain it this way. Since I was three years old, I've been a fan of the New York Yankees. My father was a Yankee fan. My mother was born in the Bronx. My grandfather was a Yankee fan. My great uncle was at Lou Gehrig's farewell speech in Yankee Stadium. Been a fan of the Yankees for. All these years. And all these years, I live in Boston, I get all this crap about how the Yankees are this dominant team and they don't play fair and they spend too much money. And you know what? The teams that impress me aren't the teams that are able to raise the most complaints. But the teams that impress me and the teams that I want to see as a, as a Yankee fan come and oppose the Yankees are the teams that are able to marshal significant resources of their own through the means that they have available to them. So it's,
0: it's, something, that, it's something that you've said. It's a, Fen- it's a Fenzelian statement, which is that superiority is no substitute for victory.
1: Exactly. Like, right. you go out there as an entertainer or as a worker or whatever you're doing in your life, and it's a fight every day. And, like, it, the question I have is, like, yes, girls can be better, right? It can be righter. It can be less bad. But is it going to win, and I want it to win. Like, I want a show like this to win, uh, and despite – in fact, because of the anxieties that it provokes in me as a member of the dominant culture and not somebody from the subaltern culture. I have to recognize that myself. And I feel like – I don't know if you guys feel the same way about this, but, like, I feel – I, I, nothing – very few entertainments over the course of the last 15 years have made me feel such a party to the dominant culture as watching girls has made me feel. Huh. Like, oh, it just yes. – it, yeah. it totally makes <laughs> I mean that's
0: that's interesting, right? Because like, as right-thinking progressives, all I think, right, like we we arrogate to ourselves the privilege of identifying with subaltern cultures, right, or with with marginalized cultures, and that like that's that's sort of uh, there's there's a double standard involved, or there's there's a kind of there's a certain amount of bad faith involved in that, right?
1: I mean, there always is a certain amount of bad faith involved in sort of being in a position like the sort that we're in, and then identifying with the subaltern culture too strongly. I think because you know, oh, are we the ones who have to like you know live without not in walking not in walking or driving distance from uh, from a grocery store? Like no, like we have these things available to us. We are not like you know in the ghetto, as it were. You know, uh, like uh,
0: walking so, distance. Uh, what is this walking distance you speak? Oh, um, of? I live in Los <laughs> Angeles.
1: <laughs> That's true. People, uh, the only people who walk in Los Angeles are the subaltern culture, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I think that it's, it's just like – I think it's important to recognize and have this sort of self-awareness of your place in things. And it's cool and it's fun and it's good to be open and to, and to expose yourself to new cultures and to be progressive and to be understanding. But at a certain point, these things don't truly replace the discursive realities of your idea and position of yourself, which are largely subconscious. Right? Like it's like – I can't not be who I am. You know, I, I can I can be generous, I can be forgiving. You know, I can I can be like, uh, you know, I, I can try to root for the underdog. I can do all of these things. But like, I was raised in. I mean, I think that new historicists and such would advocate for this as strongly as anybody, right? Like this idea that the culture that helped create who I am is something to, from which I can't truly separate myself as much as I might want to. Sure. Um, and I think that to an extent, girls is kind of poking at that part of us. But right? That's a, I
0: mean, but that's I. I Right, rather than sort of take that as a lamentable political reality, I, I sort of take that as like hey that 's great, you, know, you yep. know what I mean because in in the specificity of uh, you know, in the specificity of who I am for, for some reason I, th- I think we 're able to reach out across uh, reach out across these boundaries and and, and sort of empathize with the, with each other and I say that without meaning to trivialize any of the political realities that uh, you know that that cause people cause people to suffer so I, so the example that i 'll give is the plays of Shakespeare, right like the fact that I can uh, identify with the plays of Shakespeare is evidence that i I can reach out across my you know uh, socially uh, my culturally determined my circumstantially determined uh reality into another circumstantially determined reality and find something authentic to identify with. Uh, in that right and uh, and uh, in a way that is not uh, what that doesn't trivialize either thing by by doing that you know you know yeah. so like I mean, it's, yeah. so uh, and it's it's much more tricky to say right I reach out across uh, across the chasm between my reality or my, or my sort of um, circumstances and another set of circumstances to identify with. You know, I don't know the wire, right? That's yeah. that's a much more problematic statement for a whole host of of political reasons. But it's, um, uh, you know, I, w- what am I saying? I, uh, Madame
2: Bovary, c'est moi. Is <laughs> I what I'm saying? <laughs> well, so, so, for, so, so is, oh, go ahead. So is is girls? I mean, you guys having seen more of it than I have. Is girls effective at, I guess, bridging that unconquerable gap between self and other? Uh, having having seen just the first episode, and you know, not wanting to derail the podcast with you know a an immense you know uh, fierce and searching moral inventory of of my own history, uh, I will I will say that uh, in the first episode in particular, there is. You know, there's uh, Lena Dunham's character complaining about the the guy she's sleeping with who, you know, she calls him and, you know, she texted him, but he, you know, he's never called her back. And he's like, oh, should I go after him? And her friends are saying, no, this guy's, you know, this guy's an asshole. Don't do anything with him. And then afterwards, she spends the afternoon with him and in her and in her very timid halting sort of way sort of makes clear that she would like to see him again and, you know, pursue this on a more steady level. And his response is, oh, OK, yeah, just, you know, just text me whenever. And sort of leaves that hanging in a very awkward way. Now, having been in in the past the kind of guy who would say to a girl, oh, yeah, just text me whenever. In fact, I think I've used those exact words. Uh, Seeing that and, you know, having empathized with the protagonist up to this point was... I mean, I, I think I'd already improved past this point. Uh, you know, by the time the the episode aired, just a, just a few weeks ago, but uh, it was it was still a sort of bracing reminder of behavior that I had indulged in in the past that was you know not you know, not considerate is is perhaps yeah. the, is perhaps the best way to put it and. You know that, yeah, that's- that,
0: that it takes two to tango. In in that, I mean, oh God, did I did those words actually just pass my lips?
1: <laughs> I, I, I think I, they're from one of those Shakespeare plays that you've been reading, right? Like, I, lat- I, blame, <laughs> the,
0: I blame the the lovely glass of Trader Joe's rosé that I am enjoying at the uh, at the particular moment. Um, Right, it takes two to tango. It takes right one partner to kind of be a, a dick, and you know, I say this as a veteran of dickishness in so many relationships uh, myself. Like uh, the, uh, it takes one partner to be a dick, and it takes another partner to be stupid and put up with it. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, and, but
2: there's there's still the one partner who's the dick. I mean, it, I I, <laughs> I I'm not I'm not going to. Well, I I don't necessarily. That's just I dick p- guilt. John. I don't. You know what I mean?
1: You're,
2: you're feeling dick guilt.
1: Well, I mean, I think I think that the whole point of this this dialectic that we're describing is that the you know, the reality of it is that it's two sides, and you know, there's or more than two sides depending on the number of people involved. But that stories tend to be told from one perspective or the other, right? Because from either perspective, there is a certain. Du- Degree to which the other person is an other, right, and is a person who you're trying to like, because because I think that scene for for Lena case is that her name? not Lena Headley? That's the woman from uh, the the Sarah James Connor Dunham. Chronicles. Uh, Lena, uh, yeah, Lena yeah, yeah. Dunham. Lena Dunham. Um, like, there's a degree to which that really just speaks to her unmet emotional needs, right, and like her her sort of like desire to have this kind of companionship in her life and her dysfunction, right. But it's presented and, uh, and in kind also of,
0: like, I think also I think a, a great deal of immaturity, right. Like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Which is also immaturity is unmet emotional needs, right? Like you become yeah. mature when you realize your own capacity for meeting your emotional needs. But
1: yeah, I, but I don't think that I don't think the scene is there to say, oh, look how look how much growth she has yet to go. You know what I mean? It's more like look where she is. I mean, you could tell this. You could you could portray that same scene in any number of different ways that would advocate for any different sorts of power relationships between this dude and this woman. Right, like uh, you could advocate for, oh, look how young she is, and look what this trouble that she gets into because she's young, or like, oh, like look how you know, look how sexually empowered and, and sort of exotic he is, and look how sort of new at this she is, and, and how she doesn't know, or like, oh, look at how much of a jerk he is, and and how like she's willing to put up with it because she you know she can't do any better because of the constri- restrictions that are put on her, or like you could do it from the perspective of her parents, you could do it from the perspective of her friends, and the show does explore it. From different directions but I do think it's important that like no one portrayal of this of the events uh, really reflects the entirety of the events and the mm-hmm. full scope of the discussion that we're having um, I mean right,
0: but that but, yeah. but the show I mean the show takes a point of view you know right
1: yeah 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 and I think that I don't know I mean and then I can't speak with authority I feel like it's a little premature for any of us to judge the show as a whole because we've only seen the first few episodes each of us and the show isn't even like this show has a lot of way to go it's not done true, um, true. so 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 we'll watch it as it evolves, but as a first impression, it seems to me that it is sort of taking a strong stand that the dude is kind of an ass, right? Like, and he is kind of a jerk, and he does kind of mistreat her, and she shouldn't put up with it. Um, but she does, and, and that's kind of the sublimity of her character. That's like her her Walter Whiteness. That they, that's what she puts up with, right? Like, I wonder. I don't think she'll go in the same direction. Maybe she will. Maybe she'll like launch herself up into the air and power up a, a methamphetamine Kamehameha and like destroy all of her enemies. But I don't know if that's the direction that this is going in.
2: Yeah, uh, there's there's two. I mean, there's there's two different discussions that I, I think we're we're getting at, and. Uh, uh, I, I i hate to I hate to necessarily jump the segue because we we might be talking about uh we might be talking about comics later in the podcast but there's uh so in in any sort of discussion about creators rights I, i've been reading up a lot on that lately there's the discussion of you know how somebody and jack kirby is is often a ca- uh, example case uh, Alan moore is another example case you know, signed these terrible contracts that gave the publishing houses that own their work, Marvel and DC respectively, uh, immense power over their work and their ability to profit from it. And you will occasionally, although thankfully not often, see the argument made that, well, you know, they signed the contract and you know it's it's kind and of, they signed the contract of their own free will. Yes, it's a stupid agreement that more or less uh, prevented them from getting a any reasonable share of the Immense wealth that has since been generated by their intellectual property, but you know that's that's the agreement they signed, and there and that that sort of like like harsh you know mar- market take all mentality is even even for its relative merits kind of irrelevant to the original discussion, namely that it's that it's an exploitative contract that it's a that it's a dick move if you will, so. I, I think it's I think it's pretty objectively clear that and to bring it back to girls, for instance, that was an awkward segue. To bring it back to girls, uh, you know, Lena Dunham's boyfriend, guy, I, I'm not sure the, the nature of the relationship, you know, is a dick to her. Like he's he's an ass. Like he's just not a good human being. Now, whether whether the impact on that re- As you say, Pete, there are a number of ways to portray that and whether, you know, the I guess the overall metaphysics of it is such that, you know, oh, you know, Lane Dunham's character is going to use this as a growth opportunity or Lane Dunham's character is engaged in self-destructive behavior and will never get any better. You know, that's that's another debate entirely. But I don't think it's debatable that he's the worst person here.
1: Yeah. I mean, Matt, you brought up Shakespeare. Uh, I want to bring up a different canonical source as a point of reference to this. Um, and and that and this is, of course, from the, the old, white, old Dead White Men uh, catalog, which is uh, Book 24 of the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this dovetails with what John is talking about, too. For me, Book 24 of the Iliad is really the piece of poetry that articulates this idea of how do people who have totally opposite interests and are hostile to one another establish any sort of understanding with each other about anything right? Um, and, 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 uh, and it addresses some of, I think, the things that John are saying, because Book 24 of the Iliad is when Achilles ends up in, Pri- in no, Priam ends up in Achilles' tent, right? He, yes. like, sneaks in under disguise, and he basically has come to beg for the body of his son back so he can be, like, buried with honor rather than, uh, the you know, the desecration that he's undergone and would continue to otherwise undergo by being dragged through the dirt and such. And there's this moment where Achilles recognizes that despite Priam's glory as this king, but also Priam's position as His enemy and this person he has to kill. That Priam is mortal, and that he himself is mortal, and that this like shared mortality alone it does not resolve their conflict. It does not change the nature of their power relationship that much. But what it does do is provide them enough of a basis of understanding for Achilles to want to give Hector's body back to Priam for a proper burial, right? Uh, And I think that there's something in that way of looking at human conflict and discursive conflict that it could be useful to us because I think we're talking about, is this guy good? Is this guy bad? We have a real, I don't know whether it's like Victorian-inspired, but a fairly modern compunction to resolve this in, in, a, in a moral way, to, re, to resolve the, the relationship between the two people, whether they can get along or not, as, an, as a necessary consequence of who is being good and who is being bad. Um, and I wonder whether the reality of us both us as members of this, you know, male culture interacting with this piece of art that is made kind of to poke at us, uh, which we deserve, you know, whatever, it's fair, it's fine, um, to relate to that and also for this girl and woman, I you she know, she's called, called a girl in the show, to relate to this jerk boyfriend, like – or is this, is this more of a situation where we are coming to terms and we're becoming friends and we're reconciling and there's going to be a unity when it's done and people are going to understand each other? Is that where we're going? Or is this more of an Achilles' pream situation where we sort of mutually recognize the things that we have in common across our sort of vast gulf of alienation and our sort of vastly different political interests and, like, come to a human understanding but come to one that also doesn't create that unity or resolve any of our other enduring conflicts? Um, you know what I mean? Like, like that seems to me like two different ways to approach both the narratives in the show and the meta narrative around the show, uh, and how to deal with it.
2: Right. Well, it's uh, to 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 tackle your to tackle your question directly. I would I would hope for the former, but I would presume the latter, just because even within the Iliad, you know, Priam's uh, Priam visits Priam visits Achilles' tent and. I forget the, I forget the exact pitch of the battle at this point but things have been I think things have been going against Troy for a while and we know just having you know having heard the Iliad uh, several times as contemporary audience members and having read it you know for thousands of years as you know modern school kids as we were we know how it turns out for Troy so we don't see Priam coming to Achilles' tent as oh this is an opportunity to turn the tide of battle and maybe stop the war from going on we know that it's really really, just the king asking for a moment's respite in order to do what is right by the laws of both nature and civil society and the hope that, you know, even in the midst of war and the inevitable fall of Troy, there can be this moment of uplift and beauty and nobility of the human spirit. And Achilles allows for that, even immediately prior to the invasion and sacking and burning of uh, of Troy properly. And so to to springboard off of that uh, overly complicated metaphor i i don't think this i don't think this show by itself uh, is going to to bridge the unbridgeable gap between self and other and frankly i i don't well this this just comes from my own existentialist leanings but i don't know that it's possible uh but that being i mean that being said it's still it's still a worthwhile effort regardless and it's I guess it's a sort of helpful move in that direction, but there's there's always going to be that extent that uh, am I thinking Heidegger or Schopenhauer the uh, the private language argument? Who am I thinking of? Uh,
1: he- if it's exa- oh, I would say Heidegger probably, but that's just he- a
2: guess. Heidegger, I think. Uh, I'm going to Google it while I talk, so I'm putting the words together. Uh, there's always going to be that extent to which the. Wittgenstein, neither of the two. It's apparently Wittgenstein. <clears throat> There's always going to be that extent to which the uh, you know the contents of our head are our own and are impossible to to duplicate outside of ourselves, and that extent to which we can't really, really, really identify with another human being's pain, uh, even though art is our attempt to bridge that. So ultimately, yes, it's good that we're being made uncomfortable by this show. Uh, whether or not we take the next step to translate that discomfort into real empathy is I guess purely within ourselves. I don't
1: know. Yeah, I mean I, I what Oh no, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go you go. Please. I was just gonna say, <laughs> are we called, as members of our generation, to be the preams of the patriarchy who have to go into Achilles' tent and say, Look, we know this shit is done. Oh sorry, chili pepper. <laughs> We know that the war is lost. We don't really mind that as much as it might be. We find ourselves in a city surrounded. We find ourselves born into this situation. Uh, We look at this sort of ascendancy, right, both from developing worlds and from, you know, a feminist discourse and and new – New demands and new uh, sort of uh, balances of power, and and we sort of appeal to a basic human understanding and and reach some sort of uh, uh, understanding with each other, independently of the kind of shifting tectonic plates of history, which we are witnessing, uh, if we are witnessing them. So that's that's one. Uh, is that something that we're tasked to do? And I guess looking at it more from the existential perspective. Again, my big question is, like, how do you deal with it? Like, like so, so something I've been kind of dancing around is, like, I see a lot of coverage of people writing mean stuff about the show girls because they don't like to watch it. And I feel like a lot of them who are doing this are just feeling comfortable with it because they don't like watching the women, right? Like, And I right. feel like that that's a reality, right? And, and it's like, yes, it's sexist to be that way, and they've rightfully been criticized for it. But the, then the question that follows that is, well, what are you supposed to do? Like how are you supposed to deal with that? I mean, part of it is don't watch the show, right? Which yeah. is the way most of these shows are dealt with, which is that people don't watch them uh, because they don't appeal to a wide audience. They appeal to a fairly narrow audience. Um, but like that audience is ascending right, is becoming more powerful, becoming wealthier, uh, and then, and then us, we'll proliferate that, that that influence through its own natural allies, and we can expect more of this sort of thing. Um, and not that this is an enemy, but, you know, you're sort of born, as I said, you're born into your situation. You don't yeah. get to choose whether this is the kind of thing you're comfortable with. So yeah, what yeah. are you supposed to do as a person who is uncomfortable with this kind of show uh, that it's both right, you know, and also kind of just, you know, and also, like, you know, if it's if we want to progress, if we want to move forward, like, what do we do?
2: You're always you're always going to have a hard time with the argument that people should be making themselves uncomfortable because <laughs> you know yeah. there's there, there's a lot of inertia going against that. In fact, an, al- almost a planet's worth of inertia saying, eh no, I'm I'm just going to sit here where I am and be cool, thanks."
1: Hold on. Let me recline, and you can tell me again. All right. Let me get that little lever. Okay, we're we're sitting back here.
2: me uh, exactly. Have
1: some of my German mineral water while you talk to me about how uncomfortable I have to be
2: in my life. Mm, exactly. Geez. So that, that's that's always that's always going to be a hard sell, <laughs> telling people that they they need to engage with things that make them uncomfortable. And I mean, in a, in a strictly real politics sense, you could make the argument that that's that's never something that the the dominant class drink. Is going to is going to exceed on their own that it's really a case of the subaltern classes getting their act together and sort of seizing enough power, whether just by taking over the discourse or through you know blunt physical force. Wait,
0: wait. I feel like John, you're now making the argument I made before, which was that like uh, which
2: was that like it it takes two to tango. No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying it takes it takes one to tango.
0: Okay. <laughs> sorry
2: uh, okay it, or if if you will like it it uh i i want to try and stay within the tango metaphor but i'm not finding i'm not <laughs> well finding look, you have stuff. to
1: understand that there's both social elements and economic elements so there's a tango and a cash right and they both have to work together <laughs>
2: sorry, I, you were in the middle of of your nuance point john and i yeah but uh, it, was, it wasn't you. it wasn't very nuanced so i i guess like there's You know, I guess it does take two to tango, but at one point someone has to someone has to take the rose out of their teeth and stomp over to the orchestra and say, no, we're doing a we're doing a waltz now. And, you know, at at that point, it's at that point, doesn't matter what the person who's leading the dance thinks. I don't know. It's the, the best the best analogy I can make is like, look, we all have. We all have racist grandparents or racist, you know, relatives farther up the chain somewhere in our lives. And they're they're not racist because they're villains. They're racist because they grew up in a different era of history. And they're like and they see history leaving them behind. And they're speaking their opinions a little more loudly in order to reassert their their presence, their visibility in an era that's trying to quietly forget them. Uh, we are ourselves going to be at that point in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years uh, when society does something that, I mean, the three of us like to think of ourselves as, I think, varying degrees of progressive in our, you know, in our in our mindsets and politics. Um, but I, I think we can also recognize, or at least I hope we recognize, or at least I think this. That, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, society, so social discourse is going to shift in such a way that even we will find shocking.
0: Isn't that – and do you ever wonder
2: what it's going to be? Yes, I, I fear it. I, I do, too. Like, like I, consider, I consider myself pretty open-minded. So what's going to happen in 40 years that even I am going to feel reactionary? Right, now?
0: exactly. Like, where is the new place on our bodies that we're going to begin to tattoo? Right,
1: <laughs> and you know that's just like totally not going to be it, right? Like, no, it's gonna be no, some, people look back and be like, tattoos? How ridiculous is that, right? We're all living in holograms now. Why would anyone need a tattoo when only you can do cons-
0: an- only conservatives get tattoos? <laughs> exactly.
1: What are you, a biker, like on a laser bike? Come on. <laughs> It is fun, yeah. When people get the future right versus when they get it comically wrong, like they're still on landlines and stuff. And it's okay, like...
0: so I, w- I want to take, I want to, I want to go back to a point I made earlier, even though it's it's a little politically retrograde. On, that, I mean, in in terms of this discourse at this point, right? Which is that, uh, which is that it takes two to tango. That w- in the context of of being in a relationship, when when two people have e- sort of equal authority to walk away, right? That, uh, that is to say, I want to like I want to sort of exclude from the scope conditions like you know situations of real abuse or domestic violence or you know uh,
1: or like a spider you have like a web and it's got you trapped and it's going to eat you
0: right sure <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah
2: that also is not oh, okay. covered by it, the, like she some, lob right, like that, she here come, lob <laughs> here comes the here comes the Cambridge audience always blaming the spiders. <laughs>
0: Uh, I want to write like it, in all the situations in in my life where like I, I was kind of a dick, like uh, uh, mildly, you know, not not like uh, on the great scope of dickishness. I think I was at the low end, but like where I was kind of a dick to a girlfriend or something like that, um, I, I, you know, the, the, the girlfriend was always free to tell me to F off and and go away. You know what I mean? And there are situations in life where one partner doesn't have that freedom. And I think those are covered by a, you know, separate set of things, but, uh, you know, but so like, it takes two to, it takes two to tango, but who just, but uh, just using the, the, the metaphor that, that John kind of activated a little while ago, who decided that the dance was a tango in, in, in the first place,
2: right? Well, Matt, Uh, Matt, to, to, to muddy the waters further with yet another metaphor Uh, I mean, (laughs) yes, in in situations like that, one, uh, you know, both parties always have the option to walk away. But that's very reminiscent of the, you know, of the America love it or leave it. Argument where you know someone someone evinces a pretty salient criticism about you know existing social orders and and someone else responds like well if you hate America so much why don't you go to Canada wait
0: wait wait, wait. I I think I'm not talking in in that kind of in that kind of bad well, faith when I'm talking I mean, about like being a girlfriend or boyfriend in your twenties right
1: like well, immigrating is significantly more logistically difficult than breaking up. Like I've broken up a whole bunch of times and I haven't emigrated even once. I mean, I guess I don't have so, a lot
2: of experience well, with it. Well, but... yeah, but you're you're making you're, you're making the case that like you know, well, you know, there's a relationship and one party's being a dick and one party is being put upon by the other's dickishness. And why doesn't why doesn't the other party just leave? And yes, that's an option, but there's also the option of the first party not being a dick.
0: Sure. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. But that that may not be in the cards. That may not be in the cards, given the maturity of of everybody all around. And actually, like, if you... I mean, I, I actually do have, like, a, I guess maybe an America love it or leave it attitude uh, in, in the sense that, like, I, I charge the people... I charge the people who have very, very serious political differences with any, with any country to to put their money where their mouth is, you know, and not, not sort of... Uh, Uh, You know, not sort of stay just simply because it's it's easier, you know?
1: Also, from a game theoretical perspective, it's important to recognize situations where you can leave and situations where you can't or when situations where the cost of leaving is different because it does affect – in particular, it affects the problem of people being mean to each other. Right? Like, the idea of, like, uh, the prisoner's dilemma, right? If 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 the prisoner's dilemma is indeed an essential element of a lot of different kinds of being jerks to each other, where it's like, you have to trust me not to be a jerk to you and and be vulnerable to me, and then I have to, like, acknowledge that and, and also simultaneously, like, expose my vulnerability to you, and then we both benefit. But there's a dominant strategy for each, either of us to defect and be nasty, right? And so, like... Okay, so if you play this Prisoner's Dilemma once, everybody loses because everybody follows the dominant strategy. But if it's an iterated game and if there's a necessity of maintaining some sort of good faith, if leaving the game is an option, then it sort of changes the incentives a little bit. I feel like it's important to maintain the the preoccupation and the sort of sense that you could leave – Uh, Because it changes the payoffs, and it changes what you're willing to put up with, and if the other person is at all smart, they'll figure that out too, and then that will change the way that they treat you. Uh, and and of course, it means you should take commitment. Of course, this is like you can listen to Rather, who's in a relationship, talk about the importance of like cooperating and like getting along and taking you to tango. And you talk to me, who's single, be like the danger of like defection, like the problems of collective action, right? Like uh, like the different setups that happen. But like, right, uh,
2: so, so so to take it to take it from a, from a game theory perspective, while while we have this while we have this metaphorical space, and let's bring it back to. The show Girls in particular and the relationship between Lena Dunham's character, Hannah, and I, I looked this up just because it's easier to refer to her, uh, between Hannah and uh, her boyfriend, Adam, uh, you know, her her dick boyfriend, who Wikipedia describes as Hannah's aloof lover, quote unquote, which is, I, I think, perhaps the gentlest way of putting it. So we have a couple of couple of game outcomes on the table, you know. One of which is they continue in the relationship and Lena is just, you know, sort of emotionally ground down further. And one of which is that she leaves. And I think we all agree that the, the outcome in which she leaves would be vastly superior to the outcome in which she stays. And I, I think that's widely conceded. But the point I'm making is that none of is that none of us are really addressing the outcome in which Adam improves as a human being. And I think it would be It would be at least healthier for the discourse for us to give some thought to the notion that, you know, the guy has at least some obligation to try and improve his dick behavior. That, you know, that, yes, yes, he's a dick, but it's not through some inherent, you know, fountainhead of dickness deep within him. Like, (laughs) oh, like oh he's but john a-, a equals a john a <laughs> equals a <laughs> and the, and the and the people who believe that do tend to have fountain heads of dickness welling welling up within them but uh but yeah i mean yes yes the character of adam and guys who act like that are dicks but like that's that's not a metaphysical absolute they they're not the anchors around which the universe revolves it's possible for them to change and one of the things that, that gets guys like that to change is realizing that the, the women in their lives whom they ignore you know, have feelings. And one of the ways to realize that is by watching shows like HBO's Girls, starring and written by and produced by Lena Dunham.
0: You know, so it's, it's, a great it's, really, it's, a, it's a great scheme of self-improvement that we are all embarked upon here in this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have to wrestle with these difficult ideas. I really think it's a great idea to go into these relationships assuming you can change the other person. And that way it- <laughs> <laughs> no, I know no, that's not no, what you were No, saying. no,
0: just, no, they, That's not fair. That's not straw- fair. Manning that's John, you're strawmanning John's point.
1: Uh, I'm also, if the straw man, like, is, like, buying smokes on the sly and, like, fooling around with other straw people when he should be hanging out with you at home. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, uh, yeah, I I totally, I totally concede your point, John. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, I think that given time, I mean, I think, I think that this is actually one of the, the problems with girls is that, like, the artistic project of this show is... Uh, is to kind of take a snapshot take a, like a synchronic snapshot you know of of a particular moment in in a person's de- well in a woman's development right and that like we can we can have all kinds of complaints about that but those complaints uh, are always those complaints always have recourse to a kind of diachronic snapshot that is to say uh once you know more right the, the this this you won't get into this you won't be in this kind of situation or once the dude knows more right and like the dude's knowing more is uh uh, is informed by uh, by the woman's ability to um to say f you and go find another boyfriend right like uh, that happens enough times to you uh, and you do you do end up sort of developing out of out of necessity um right like uh, those things Those things all involve like a, a certain amount of of perspective uh, on on the time the, like the immediately post college sort of what I, what David Brooks has called like the new Odyssey years uh, to bring it back to Greek poetry right like this kind of weird early adult period that our economic situation has has caused to emerge in our early 20s um but when when you're in it, you don't necessarily see. You, you don't have recourse to the kind of diachronic view that that says things will not always things will not always be thus, right?
2: Right. It's it's a rich dramatic irony. The audience knows the audience knows something the characters do not.
0: Right. And that I, I mean, and I, I gotta say, I gotta give Lena Dunham props, like the, it, because I think it it takes a great deal of perspective to be able to like portray that. So. Uh, so faithfully, you know, you know what I mean. To to be that annoying for that long and sustain it, uh, it, it is, I think, honest honest to God. I'm not. This is not a backhanded compliment. I think that's a real accomplishment of of drama because, right, like one of the, especially if you're going to play the character, like wh- I think one of the real temptations is you want people to like you, right, and to be able to to. Uh, to hold at bay the temptation to do something where people are going to like you for so long is, I think, uh, pretty damn admirable. Um, I'm not sure I could do it. So uh, I, I got to give her props at least for that, right? Yeah, to espouse to
2: yeah. that level of
1: vulnerability. Uh,
0: that's exactly what it is. You're right.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good show. I think that it's well executed, and I I know I've been sort of talking about the anxiety. I feel like this has, to a degree, been a talk about anxieties provoked by the show, which are provoked by design, I I think. And so, I don't want to be seen as opposing the show.
0: Actually, that's something that you said earlier, Pete, that that I kind of have like thought about and maybe wanted to take issue with. Do you think the show is there? One of the projects of the show is to tweak you, or do you think? do you think that you're, you're tweaked by the project of the show and that project does not have much to do with you?
1: I feel like the show is deliberately tweak, tweaking. I mean, maybe it's just the font that's tweaking. <laughs> I mean, like, nothing, nothing in the show tweaks harder than the title and the image of the title and that super severe sans-serif font. And just that it's called Girls, right? Because it's like it's sort of like, we're not girls. Like, it's a, It's a title that is like presenting you with a bald-faced lie that you've been telling yourself right it's like it's like you think that these are just girls but look at the lives that they lead they are so different from that and 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 the show goes to such pains to show you the poop moments and the awkward bath moments and the ugly moments like to to sort of disabuse you of this idea of them being girls and i I think there are definitely scenes at least in the first few episodes where it's like hey audience like don't you get it that this is not like the regular girl show, right? I mean, they're fairly few and far between. They're not as bad as the scenes at the beginning of Mad Men where they were like, uh, where they would like bag over their head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Make the comment.
2: Well, no, I mean, I was, I was about to draw that analogy. I mean, in the, in the first episode of Mad Men there, there is, there is literally a scene where Don Draper's stands up and says, I'm not going to let a woman talk to me like that. Like those, those are literally his words. Like, it, it, whereas if you saw something like that in in the current season of Mad Men, you would sort of r- withdraw allergically from the TV screen and sort of shrivel in a corner. Yeah, and I was definitely talking
1: about the moments where it's like – where they go have a picnic and they just leave all the litter. And it's like, this show takes place in the 60s where things are different. And I think that there are certain elements of girls where it's like they're really trying to – they're trying to tweak your conventional idea of who these people are. But I feel like they are fairly subdued and they don't interfere too much with what the show is trying to do. But I definitely think that they're part of at least the marketing, if not like the substance of the show to too great a degree. I don't know. Maybe I just don't like that font. I like serif fonts. Why does everyone love sans serif fonts? Serifs are great. Oh yeah, yeah are they-
0: I agree. They're ornamental. They're kind of elegant. I mean, depending on, they have a lot of personality. You know what I mean? Depending on how sort of slavish, how geometric, or how kind of swooping they are. I don't it's know. Dude. Ser- serif- serifs,
2: serifs for body. Te- serifs for body text. Sans serif for headers. That's my rule. That's 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 how I roll, baby.
0: And that's how we roll on www.overthinkingit.com, the site that said no. Uh, If you would like to join the conversation, I have a feeling that we're going to touch off a a lot of great debate with this episode. So I'm I'm very glad for that. And here are the avenues uh, that we invite you to participate in or uh, call your own dance. You know what I mean? Don't, uh, tell us to F off and go find a new website. No, uh, the, uh, don't find a new website. <laughs> you
1: can't leave. <laughs> Leaving is not an
0: option. Right? Absolutely, <laughs> you can't leave. That website will never love you like we do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can call 203 6401 call or text two zero three two eight five six four zero one. you can email podcast at com, or you can join the uh, great conversation that always happens in the comments on the show notes for this episode we will be back next week until then visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it uh, probably uh, doesn't. 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 <laughs> I'm not a girl, not yet a woman.
1: All I need is time.
0: <laughs> well, you've had sixty. You've had sixty years, Your Majesty. I mean, how much I, more time? Just...
1: <laughs> Oops, I did it again. You played I played with your heart and got lost in the game. Oh, oh
2: Fens- baby baby. Fenzel, you have the you have the analysis goggles. What's uh what's Lena Dunham's angst level?
1: <laughs> it's over 9,000. Oh wait, wait. Hold on. It's over 9,000. <laughs> <laughs>